Hello and welcome back to the Build Shop Podcast. I am one half of the hosting crew, Ryan Brath, and I'd like to welcome Mike. How's it going? Mr. Brath, I am fantastic. Yourself? I'm doing great. Uh, I know this is obviously not a visual medium, but uh, I'm slightly moved around from my normal shop, but uh, it's it's all for a good cause. So uh, yeah, everything's great. Everything's everything's actually been, it's been a great day. A lot of stuff going on. I mean, kind of feel like I'm still reveling after the the whole playoff thing that we just witnessed. But before we get to that in just a moment, we do have a lot to talk about today. So we are going to cover what happened at the BMW. We're going to cover the Solheim Cup. We're going to talk some Bryson stuff because we had some news come out uh, just yesterday on you know, some PGA Tour policies. And this is, this is very, very interesting. So we'll get to that. Mike, have you read any of that stuff yet or just kind of caught a little bit of it? Yeah, I'd like to throw in a little... Come on, Brooksy. Yeah, the there bar. you go. Um, so we got that to cover as well. And then um, for those who, you know, we, we always do our Q and A's um, on Instagram. So you can check us out. I'm RDS Brath on Instagram. I know, Mike, you are very easy to, to follow along. Simple, simple. Mike TXG. And then um, for us, you know, we want to be able to answer those questions. And it's harder sometimes on Instagram. So we've got a lot here that came in. And then uh, for anyone that does follow along, this was that was very much a specific podcast one, so we will be throwing up a, a traditional one either way, and then we're going to talk about some gear because you know one of the interesting things was the fact that Bryson and Cantley both had older drivers, some older clubs in the bag, and then we're going to talk Solheim Cup. You know, you got we got the uh, Ryder Cup coming up in a few more weeks. We've got the Solheim Cup this week, and it's at a really cool golf course. So we're going to cover all that, but let's get right to it, Mike. Where were you? for the BMW playoff and were you on the edge of your seat? I wouldn't say I was on the edge of my seat, but uh, I was at the golf course watching with a, with a group of friends and uh, it was great. It just late night golf on uh, on a Sunday night is uh, was really fun. It was cool to see the two battle it out and it was nice to see, uh, you know, Cantley drop that, that final putt, which was, which was cool. A little bit of, uh, drama between the, between the two players. Um, but you know, the, uh, caves Valley looked unbelievable and, you know, they both played great. Could you imagine being a membership of a golf club? And they obviously are like a nice club spending $10 million to renovate your golf course and then have them still go out there and shoot like whatever it was, 27, 28 under par. And would you not be looking at yourself going, why the hell did we just spend all this money? Like, you know, it 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 goes to show. I think it's really important. And you, I know you can definitely speak to this because the way your golf course, the way you, where you play, is often set up like this. It's not about so much the design or length, but it's how it is set up. And these yeah. guys who hit the ball high, soft is not like soft silk conditions. Even with rough, you know, there's going to be players who are going to separate themselves and like just go lights out. Yeah, and hundred percent. I mean. Caves Valley, I heard from there's something popped up on Golf Digest the other day for for rating, and it was uh they moved a ton of dirt. So it it definitely was different from the uh from the previous layout. Um, but you're right. If if you were a member at a club and you spent that much money, I'm sure those members were assessed to something to do those renovations. You would expect uh a lower or you know, I guess a higher scoring round in a way, but all in all, really good event. Loved it. I always think the BMW does a good job. Yeah, I know. Like as far as sponsorship is concerned, I think they the build out looked really cool. Uh, the course looked good. Like just everything showed out on TV. And exactly to your point, like there's definitely something. I know I love it when golf doesn't end the traditional time. 
Yeah. You know, like I can distinctly still remember. And I know it was because it was in the, and you put me, I bet you, you probably remember as well. I'll, I'll lay it on you just a second here. When Tiger won the Zozo in Japan and there was the rain delay and, and they played the next day. I was, tra- I was actually traveling. Uh, I was with my wife in New York city. So I woke up early and just watched the final like six or seven holes, which was awesome to see him and Hideki come down and, and see him win that big freaking massive circle trophy thing. Um, but that was cool. Cause like it kind of forced you to tune in for something different, almost like the open championship, which I know we, we both gush openly about. Yeah. I mean, I was in a cool time zone. I was in uh, Punta Mita, Mexico. So <laughs> I ran to the, I ran to the tequila bar right after and, uh, and got to watch it uh, sitting at the beach. So um yeah time zone worked out perfectly i always think that's really fun i know when when stuff goes late when it's on the west coast it's easy you know you don't have to worry about this mike but when there's a toddler you know it's a little easier once they're asleep to you know catch a few more hours of golf still i did that for the u.s open this year which was really cool yeah um but let's let's talk about the playoff itself i know bryson looked like he was struggling with his chipping and his putting and cantley on the other hand switched putters i guess a few weeks ago to a new Scotty Cameron Mallet style putter. And um, was it strokes gained highest ever recorded? And we Damn. saw that in the playoff. Like this dude, I mean, it's not that he didn't make every putt he looked at, but let's talk. Like, if he had to make it, he basically made it coming down the stretch there. It was pretty insane. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was interesting to see at one point. I think it was like the third playoff hole or fourth playoff hole. I don't even know. Don't even remember how many holes they went into playoffs, but, um, he kind of chunked his eight iron. I think he had an eight iron into the green on 18 and he chunked it and then left himself a pretty nasty putt and it just skimmed the edge. And I'm like, yeah, he, you're right. He should have made, he should have made every putt that he looked at. And at the end he obviously did, but um, I think he's, I think he's a world-class player. I think he's, I think Augusta is, you know, his next taking, will it be next year? I don't know. But I'm just saying like that course, I think suits him well. So he could definitely be wearing a green jacket pretty soon. Do you think Cantlay is still underrated? I mean, he there was almost a time where he didn't play for like all like two and a half, almost three years because of the back injury and because of all that stuff. And I remember there was a time I know um, he think he was using like um, something true temper in his, his shafts. But anyways, at one point he was using like a very lightweight, like a dynolite just to mm. kind of take some pressure off, I think on, in his iron shaft. So he's around like 105 or um, where he's now around 120. So that's, a, you know, it's a fitting thing there, but I don't know. Do you think that he's, he gets that? I mean, I think this week he definitely got the credit, but overall, like he's still kind of a sleeper guy when he goes out there. Yeah. I mean, you can look at, remember when he played in the fries.com in Napa Valley, uh, I'm pretty sure Bill Haas won that year, uh, <laughs> but he was uh, a freshman out of UCLA or he might've just still been an amateur. I can't remember. Um, and everyone's like, oh, Patrick Cantley's the next, the next big thing. And then obviously he went through some personal stuff with, I'm pretty sure he was in a car accident. He lost his best friend or something like that. Um, and kind of, you know, went away for, for a little bit, but is he still underrated? hundred percent. I mean, the guy's got five wins and he's an unbelievable ball striker, you know, pretty good driver the ball has a great swing like you know there's a lot of courses i think once he gets over the hurdle of you know winning a few more events maybe some big events and i always say playoffs are huge events for these guys um you know you could start to see him get into momentum and start winning a few more events on turn now he won three times this year yeah i know we say this like like this came out of nowhere so you know but you're right he does still fly under the radar if you win three times this year 
but you how many times you hear his name on golf channel or something like that it's very very limited so um definitely still under the radar but he's going to be uh going to be a player for for a very very long time and the you know the crowd was cheering his name they were they were getting loud for patrick and he he looked like it's just like a serial killer <laughs> and yeah, like, there's no no response like even like the little I mean the fist bump at the end there but like even then like that was like a pretty subdued fist bump all things considered yeah someone sent me like i shared the the win on ig stories and someone shared to me they're like if only he could smile and to be honest with you there's other guys like that i mean dj would used to be one of them dj shows very no very little emotion duffner showed very little emotion brooksy shows very little emotion um so i don't know maybe that you know those guys are just they just don't know how to come out of their shell i guess who who knows but at the end of the day with a couple million bucks in the bank i don't need to smile either <laughs> i would be smiling yeah you don't have to smile yeah yeah for sure um and you know, here's okay. Here's a quite hypothetical before we get to the next topic, really quick, because this was a fun one. It came up. Cameron Smith was asked what he would spend his fifteen fifteen million dollars on, and he said probably some fishing gear. So really quickly, Mike, what are you going to spend fifty? What would you spend fifteen million dollars on if you won the FedEx Cup? Be buying a Ferrari for sure. Um, and probably a couple watches. Add stuff to the wine cellar. This That's is a good. If I was, this is if I was a PGA Tour player and didn't have to buy houses and stuff like that. But I'm sure there'd be a pretty good rager uh, happening in the Bahamas somewhere. I I, I know for uh, for myself there'd definitely be some. I mean, obviously being a tour player versus being me now, but I I would want to just travel. Like I'd, I'd spend the money on all kinds of travel and things like yeah. that. Um, do you have a okay? Now I'll ask you this one: Do you have a specific Ferrari? Is there like one that you go to? Because when I think of supercars, like I I really like. Ferraris and McLarens, all that stuff. But the one car, maybe it's because like the kid, it's like a kid in me, and I've always really like enjoyed the brand. But I always look at like an R8, the like the Audi. Yeah, like, to me that's yeah. such a cool looking car. Or like the four, even though I'm not like a big like Ford truck guy or whatever like that. But like a Ford GT40 looks sick. Like I just think it's a cool car. A buddy of mine at the club has an R8, and uh, we had a closest to the pin for me to get to drive it home because he lives in Oakville as well. So. Um, I won and I got to drive his R8. Didn't go extremely fast, but it was cool to drive. Um, but a Ferrari, I've always been a Ferrari fan, and an F8 is a nice car. A La Ferrari Aperta is the dream, and a 488 Italia would be those would be the top three Ferraris for me, unless you're going into something extremely old like the 50s or 60s. But then that's a that's a rabbit hole. We could get into that yeah. all night. That's a different podcast, Mike. I know I watched, uh, you know, people ask us like, what do you watch on YouTube when you're not doing YouTube stuff? And it's like, I always say like the big thing for me is like, I always watch uh, uh, a lot of the car stuff. I can't remember. I don't know exactly the name of it. Cause I'm really bad with the car names. If I like, if it's like some number or whatever, but like, it's like the thousand horsepower, like track only Ferrari. Yeah. I watched the guy drive that thing. And I was like, that just seems like insane, but you know, yeah, again, that's the, a different the, topic. Down another. The, the dream is a Ferrari 250 GT. That's what it's called. And, that's what it looks like viewers can't see it but you can see it and that is just i mean if i got to even sit in one of those would be looks like something james bond would have driven in the 60s yeah sean connery driving around i know he's it's aston martin obviously but uh okay so let's get to a couple elements of um the rest of the playoff and then you know we talked a little bit about patrick's gear one of the other interesting things he's still using a tsi3 driver 
not the TSI three driver. And this brings us to the other person who was in the playoff. How could we not talk about him? Bryson. Um, he, he, he was using, he went back. I know his, his, he had an issue with some drivers at the open championship. You know, he said some things, but uh, he had gone back again to the Cobra LTD. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember the last time he had it in the bag before this event, or at least when I had actually noticed that he was using it. But I thought that was like an interesting change because there's something about the driver that's working because in the playoff, mind you, he did blow one in the water, but still like he drove it like just down. He just piped it right down the gut every single time, except for the one in the water, obviously, and he still made par. But that was insane. Like he at that speed, it is very difficult to hit a golf ball that straight. Like that's a skill. That is a skill that it's it's very hard to replicate. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know how he does it. It's it's impressive. I mean, I. I watched, I think, some Thursday coverage or Friday coverage, and he he carried a few like three thirty or something like that. It was was insane. Um, I'm surprised he's using that LTD driver because when we fitted with it, the driver was wasn't the hottest thing in the world, and that that moon port or whatever the heck that was, the time Space capsule. Port? <laughs> um, he always used to come loose and rattle and we had a couple returns and stuff, but the fairway wood that year, like thinking back on it, when you were talking about that, that LTD fairway wood was money. It was so good. Um, it was a bit of a sleeper for us. So um, yeah, it's an interesting, it's interesting to see him go back and forth with some stuff. Again, I completely forgot he made those comments at the open, but that feels like five years ago. Um but yeah, we'll be interesting to see what uh, what he does after, I guess after the playoffs. I, I mean, with him doing this whole long drive thing, I think it would be, I think it'd be interesting if you had someone that's uh, you see him use like I don't know a crank driver on tour. <laughs> um, so we'll see, we'll see the journey of his drivers. That I think that's going to be an interesting thing, and I know a lot of people are talking about like the Ryder Cup and prep and all that stuff, and that's again we can get to that when we get to it. But it, it is an interesting thing he's going to do. He's going to get smoked. doesn't matter. But just to compete, I think, is pretty cool. And this is where, again, we're going to roll into the next subject here now. And that is, like, the idea of Bryson and the PGA Tour and the Brooksy stuff and all of those things. Because we did have an announcement today. The PGA Tour said that, like, Brooksy is going to be something that, you know, they're going to basically police out on the golf course now, which is crazy because I know a lot of the pros were joking. I saw James Hahn said, like, I don't want to be called Kevin Na anymore on the golf course. And Lee Westwood said he didn't want to be called Colin Montgomery on the golf course. Like, even pros are looking at this and saying, like, it's kind of silly, guys. Like, you let Bubba Bowie and mashed potatoes and, like, all this other stuff just get yelled over and over and over and over and over again. And I understand this is directed to a specific player, but there's more – players have faced more abuse at Ryder Cups. I'm not saying it's right by any means because that some of the stuff that was said was – terrible and not directed even at the players or directed at other people in their lives, which I don't think is fair at all. But, you know, golf called this on like the PGA tour invited this in on themselves because first of all, they, they bring in PIP. They just want to talk PIP. Everyone, they want to, it's all about engagement and engagement and engagement. So you have players using social media to fire up fans, create engagement and nope. First, they go at each other. Brooks and Bryson go at each other, you know, the six pack and the four trophies and all this other stuff that came out. And then this evolved from that. Like it was literally an evolution of that element, the rewarding of people going in on social media. And then now they have to stop it. Now, 
like I, I it's going to be like, I don't know what's going to happen to this thing, but I think it's, it's kind of silly. And to be honest, a lot of this is brought on by Bryson himself. And I can, I'm very easy to, I'm very much able to separate Bryson, the golfer who's very talented and very skilled. And it does something that no other golfer has really ever done. And Bryson, the person who, when it comes to interviews and things like that, he's, you know, he's, he's not even changing the story. So I guess, I guess that's, that's my view of it. But like, I mean, what do you think they're going to do? I don't know. I think it's a little, a little excessive, you know, blocking the word and policing the word and stuff like that. I mean, in my mind, Brooksy wins um, because it's obviously bugged him that much. I mean, who cares? At the end of the day, a lot of these players, when they're in inside the ropes playing for millions of dollars and trying to win a tournament, yeah, they can hear the crowd and stuff like that, but really they're laser focused on certain things. And um, I've chatted to, current PJ tour players, not about the whole Brooksy, you know, Bryson thing, but just, can they hear things in a crowd? And so most of the times they're like, nah, not really. Cause we're, you know, we're reading our yardage books. We're chatting with our caddies. Like we're trying to figure things out, but obviously it gets into Bryson's uh, brain a little too much and it, and it bugs him. So he's cried enough in the PJ tours, you know, helping him out with that. I don't know. I, at the end of the day, I, it's not that I don't care, but I'm kind of sick of it. Like I'm bored of it. It's, it's not, it's not even interesting anymore. Am I a Bryson fan? I think what he's done is impressive. Do I like the guy? Not really. Am I a Brooksy fan? Again, not really, but I, I don't hate the guy either. So it, to me, I'm like pretty, you know, even on the whole situation, but the whole policing of the word Brooksy to me is a little excessive. Now what happens? And this is, I, I this was brought up on Twitter. I don't know who it was, but it was obviously like, you know, I think a lot of people had this take is, what happens if at the tour championship, because they are paired and the believe the pairings change every single day based on the standing. So you are playing with the person who is either above or below you in the, in the, like the scoring, even though it is, you know, a net championship, <laughs> right. We'll, we'll talk about that. There's, there'll be a shadow leaderboard. I'm sure we'll hear lots about it. If someone goes nuts and doesn't win, but if they end up playing together and someone, people are cheering for Brooks and yelling Brooksy, like what, I mean, you, you, then you can't police it. Then you you can police it now. Like the, the the my thing with the tour is the fact that you know not just with the pip and not just the other stuff, but like for years they have encouraged you know waste. And I I think the waste management is a great tournament. And you know once a year that's fine. Like they've encouraged this, and it's spread around to people like yelling and screaming and and getting attention on the microphone or standing next to a mic on a T deck and yelling or whatever it happens to be, and with social media and all like everything else that people are looking for, it's like you've created this environment with that and gambling as well. And all this other stuff that if you want more fans to come in, like you're going to deal with the consequences of people, more people coming to these events and using their ticket as like an opportunity to, you know, get their five minutes on social media. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree with you. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised honestly in the next, I don't know, maybe hear something this week, maybe after like, you know, just before Ryder cup, I have a feeling they might retract a, somewhat of a statement on their behalf of the whole policing of the word. I don't know. I feel like some players are, there's, there's probably a small core group of players on the PGA tour that think this is just you PGA tours wasting their time on an issue like this when they could be worrying about other things. There, there could be four, a group of people working for the PGA tour worrying about much more, bigger things that can impact other people's lives than 
worrying about people yelling out the word Brooksy. I mean, we have the Brooksy police, you know what I mean? Like how, how, and how, how is someone going to know? Are people in the crowd going to point out and go, Oh, it's, it's the guy yeah. in the Mizuno shirt and the Mizuno hat that, you know, called hey, Mike, I'm not there, dude. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it's impossible to police. And I mean, I would never yell anything at a PJ tour event. Cause I just, I wouldn't, but, I could not imagine being kicked out for saying that. I mean, go to a Leafs game. You're playing oh. against the Habs, and and you you want to say like, part of my French, but f the Habs. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, yeah. What is, are the French Canadian Montreal police going to come over and go, Monsieur? You got to get out of here because you said f the Habs. No, screw that. Like, it, you hear it at NFL games. You hear it at you know UFC fights. You hear it at where there's large crowds that are intoxicated are going to yell stupid things, but it's funny. And people golf, especially needs, whether you think mashed potatoes is funny or not, it adds some type of humor to the game and a little bit of adrenaline and excitement. So the whole banning the word Brooksy, I think is, is insane. You, you made me think of police. I know like everyone jokes about like the, the, the English, the Bobbies, right? Like yeah. the police, you got the, they got the Brooksies out there with their hats on. They're looking with their little sticks. They're looking for people. Um, but yeah, that's, again, that's enough on that right now. I think it's just, it is something that's going to be very interesting because again, I think Rory said it earlier, like about alcohol sales, you mentioned it there. I knew that's definitely a thing. You see it always cut off in the seventh inning of baseball games and there are just, there's these little things that I think have just been building and it's gotten to this point. So, you know, what's the end game? We don't know, but there's definitely something it's, it's not going to stop here. I think the fact that the PGA tour has even put more fuel into the fire, it, it's not going to go away now by any means. So, um, and now, so next up, okay. We, we, we covered as much of that as we, as we could, I think. Um, so we had the Ryder cup a couple of weeks, but this week, We've got another USA versus Europe. I'm always on team Europe. I'm going to be, uh, you know, that's where I, I, my flag flies, even though I have no skin in the game whatsoever. And that is the Solheim cup. And it is being played on a very cool golf course at Inverness. Yeah, uh, Mike, you ever played it? <laughs> I've never played it. No, but Inverness is, is on the list to play. There's a lot of golf in, in Ohio that needs to be checked off the list one day, but, uh, very, very exciting to have Solheim cup on, uh, this week. And, um, I know a customer I work with, they played Inverness, the two customers I worked with played Inverness 2019. What was it? The US Am or US Junior Am or something like that was hosted there. Um, so yeah, really, really excited to see the course on TV this week. Yeah, they've they've hosted a number of events recently. Uh they I know they did a renovation, I think it was like I want to say it was about a decade ago. Yeah. Um, at least. And for those who are like curious, I know I'll, I'll give them a plug because I, I, I listened to all of it recently. Uh, if you want to talk to the architect to like help restore the course and build some new holes, you can check that out on the, on the fried egg. I know Garrett Morrison uh, interviewed the architect there and I thought that was really cool uh, because they, they literally built some new holes to replicate some of the holes that were lost when they hosted a, a U.S. Open. It's like, a, I think it was a par five. They cut up and, and made it like a par three and some other stuff. And they just realized they couldn't put it back together. So they, they built some new holes. And I think that was really neat, but you, the, it, everything flows. And I think, you know, these classic golf courses or more classically style golf course, there's obviously an older golf course anyways, it was 1919 when it was founded, but you've got great match play events on courses like this. And it really highlights 
the decision-making process around. I, that's why I think I like match play because, you know, even if we talk about the playoff this, uh, this past week, it's like, Oh, it comes down. It's like a match play scenario. Right. But for, does your mind, does your mindset change when you play match play, Mike? Like, is there something where you like, again, I don't play a lot of, unless I'm playing with just some friends of mine, I don't do any club stuff like that, but is there, even if you're just playing with your buddies, is there like a, a mindset that changes when you're playing match play? Um, I mean, to be honest, yeah, I mean, I don't play a ton of tournament golf, but this year I did play a bit more tournament golf at the club and our, our club championships, our match play. And, you know, going into match play, I was like, okay, I'm not really never really played a ton of match play growing up here. I mean, I know for my friends in the UK, they play match play all the time. Um, but you know, the nice thing with match play is you have hopefully or not 18 individual matches. Um, so you, you, you do have a chance, you know, stroke is stroke plays, obviously, you know, you have a blow up hole and, you know, I make seven and you make birdie. I mean, I got a long way to go, but if, if we're, if, you know, if you make bogey and I make bogey, we're still even, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. No blood, which is nice. So, um, match plays fun. I've, I've enjoyed it this year and it's definitely, uh, it's definitely having little, you know, little matches within yourself and within your player on every hole. And you can kind of really bring it back after, you know, one blow pole and you, you know, you can still kind of make do and, and hopefully win the rest of your matches. That's a big thing for me is the, um, the kind of, you can have a blow pole and that doesn't really matter. Like it's just yeah. one hole. Like you could, shoot, you could make a 13 or whatever that doesn't matter. You just lose that hole. And I, I think from a, from a pay, like without <laughs> pace of play perspective, I think it, it would, it would do a lot of golfers a good, um, a good favor if they played match play against their buddies and you know, like, you know, okay, you made a, a par I'll pick up. I'm over here chipping. That's fine. Yeah. Um, Cause then, then there is still like, you could still gamble with your friends if you want on the golf course. Uh, and it's just, I, I enjoy watching it because we saw it again, like the playoff really dictated this and it, it did put an advantage to Canley, I think. And, and this is where on a longer golf course for the Ryder cup or wherever they're playing, right? Like Lizette Salas, She's playing. Um, she's like one of the shortest players on the LPGA tour, right? Yeah. And she's going to be hitting into most greens. So even though she's hitting second, or sorry, hitting first into the greens, the person going second who could be out driving her by 20, 30, 40 yards. We saw that with Nelly Corda early in the year when they played together in the final group. Like she still has the opportunity to put pressure on to those those players. And to me, that's always the interesting element, right? It's like how is that going to play out? Um, one of the most like cool shots that I remember is when uh, Luke Donald hit that iron at uh, the Ryder cup. I think it was inside tiger. Mm. Um, I know you're a tiger fan. Mike, was that a dagger, (laughs) but but he hit, he hit the iron shot with the, like the par three overwater, correct. Like just surrounded by people. Tiger hits one close. Luke Donald hits a closer and they just go nuts. I believe it was at Medina. Yeah. So like 2012, yeah. like that to me is like, that is such a cool element of match play that I love watching and we don't see it that much. We see a little bit with the men's golf because there are more of these events, but for the LPGA tour, I think it's, it's a really good opportunity to not just watch uh, great golfers on a great golf course, but to see them play a different format, which I think is going to be very interesting. Yeah. And the players I think try to hit riskier shots in, in match play. And, you know, you see a lot more hole outs, a lot more longer putts made um, in in match play. I find anytime you watch Ryder Cup or President's Cup, guys are chipping in more often or hitting it tighter. And it, I think they just, 
you know, in a match, you have the ability to right. If I if I hit this really tight and be risky, I'm great. If I blow it, okay, we might, you know, he might be one up and I still have, you know, seven other chances to to win my match kind of thing. And I think that's what I like about match play. Yeah, and I like for me, the other thing too is like the I always love watching the USAM. I just think, mm-hmm. especially when it's 36 holes, like in the final there, like you have a lot to watch for. And I think that's really cool. Uh, so yeah, check that out this week. We've got the Solheim cup. And then we also have the tour championship, which is played at East Lake. We got the top 30 players. And from what I understand, uh, Patrick Reed is in, he made it, he didn't play in the f- first two events, but, uh, he is in. So, uh, you know, even if he shows up and hits three balls off the, the first tee and skulls, if it doesn't matter, I think he walks away with $345,000 extra, whatever. So like, you know, that always helps, but, uh, you know, this is the build shop podcast. And we want to talk club building and club fitting. We want to get into that. And again, I put it out on my Instagram, RDS Brath for this evening's show is some questions. And Mike, you are the, we're both club builders, but you are obviously the, the more regular builder. So I'll fire some of these off and you, you can help me. Uh, and I'll, I'll see fill in any gaps if I think there's any there. So the first one is, and this is, I think is, is really important from a fitting perspective. And you've, fitter and builder. This is, I think, important all the time. Do you follow manufacturer's tipping instructions? And if you don't, how do you know what to do? Like, do you, how do you know to go extra? How do you know to leave it where it is? Like, what is it? Is it dictated by the fit? Is it dictated by your experience with that golf shaft or does it come from the fitter? I mean, uh, knowing, knowing what our demo matrix is, is built to and built like, you know, obviously we have the ability to run from the studio to the build shop and test a couple different things regarding frequency and, and making sure we can hit flex and okay, you know, untipped it's this, if we tip it, then we can hit to a certain frequency. Do we use manufacturers tipping instructions? We read them. We look at them as a guideline, but not necessarily go by them as a, you know, the Holy grail. Um, you know, for example, you know, ever since I've been, building you know i've always kind of done you know quarter i've always seen quarter to half inch tip on driver um and we half inch tip every driver unless stated otherwise by the fitter tip an inch don't tip straight in whatever it is so with the customer profile or that your prescription that you know you would get at, at txg um the fitter would explain this to you throughout the fit but he would also put in the notes um please tip driver three quarters of an inch or an inch or don't tip it just to help that shaft play a little bit differently. Um, you know, to help you a bit more, um, through, and that will be a done through the build process. Yeah. I think, um, I can definitely attest to like when I started building golf clubs and I only thing, the only resource I had was like golf Smith magazines or even like, yeah. which even then, like there were a lot of the manufacturers had very basic websites. Uh, that sounds, makes me sound so old every time I say it. But, uh, you know, it is one of those things where there is an, I, I was scared to go anything past, like, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. And it's like, in reality, like you can do whatever the heck you want. <laughs> like it doesn't, yeah, it, there is just this, there's an element of experience to it. And we see it all the time when we see specs, um, uh, on, and I, I read it on, I think it was the world of wonder or boy, Johnny wonder at Callaway golf, uh, like John Rom's ferry was like tipped two inches. Like there's not a manufacturing recommendation out there in the world that tells you to tip a, a three wood shaft two inches, uh, unless it's a it's a combo flex like inexpensive graphite shaft or something like that. But 
even I think uh, Gary Woodland had some acro shafts uh, at one point in time or still using them. And I think it was tipped like an inch and a half or if not more into a driver shaft that's already like mega stiff. Like you're not going to find that on their website because the goal is to like, you know, fine tune for every single player. The only thing you got to worry about is the parallel tip section. So if you're looking at the specs of a golf shaft, the parallel tip section is going to give you a really good idea how much you can actually tip on those three, 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 five or three. There's not a lot of three fifty shafts anymore on those three, three, five shafts to, you know, if you start getting bigger, it's not going to fit in the hall. So, or fit in the adapter. Um, So here's another one too. Um, let me, the, this probably be a short one off brand grips. You know, when you hear about grip shortages right now, people are waiting on stuff. Have you ever tried any, I've tried, I tried some this year just, and I use them for like test clubs, but I never put them on my clubs. Cause you know, even if I sit in a bag for six, like a few weeks, I feel like they, they feel crappy. Yeah. I mean, and no, no harm to the brands that I'm going to mention right now, but I mean, I've used the Guana, I've used karma. Um, I've seen some pretty awful knockoff golf pride stuff as well um yeah like you said for testing and and stuff like that it's great to do i think for me testing wise i'd rather use a pure grip um because it's easy blow on blow off and you know they last a long time pure grips are like the the military grip of golf they could go through as many elements as you can and and they last forever um but yeah the you know the value grips i guess i would call it like you said they just don't they just don't last as long um so you might be gripping more often they might be cheaper but for the hobbyist at home hey if you want to perfect doing grips then maybe that's not a bad idea yeah it is it is a good way to start actually that's a very good point i think uh you know just like anything else if if you can try with something less expensive and kind of make maybe figure out and tweak kind of different things i know i use one from uh golf uh works like w o r KS, uh, like grip one, I think it is when they go on sale, I'll buy like five or eight of these like cheap grips and I use them for test clubs. So like I build a wedge, I'm curious, I'll take it out. I don't, because I don't use it at a compressor, but to your point, pure grips are sick when it comes to how long they last. Like you you shine them a little bit of hot water and a scrub and some Windex. And it's like, they're tacky as all hell again, which is nuts. I don't know how they do it. I know they use a lot use a lot more rubber in their compound. And I don't know if that's like a thing that they, that, that's part of it or whatever it is, but uh, yeah, they, those things are like, when you get them, they can be super tacky, which I think is yeah. always really cool. Yeah. Um, now this is a good one. The tip tip weight, can a tip weight move center of gravity? Like, do you think that it does? Cause I, I, you know, What's your opinion? Can it make an iron feel really crappy if you just jam so much weight in the hosel? Yeah, 100, 100%. And I've had this conversation with with Ian. I've had this conversation with Mike Taylor, with other guys in the industry. You know, I always am one that is against going, if I need to build a golf club that needs more than 10 grams, I'm kind of one that goes against it. Um, I just feel like that head and shaft is just not obviously a proper you know combination. So... I don't love going more than 10 grams. I have more than 10 gram tip weights, but if I have to use them, I'm kind of on the verge of not wanting to do it. Will it move center of gravity? I mean, it. yes, it has to It has to move in a way, but I don't think it's like a significant change. Um, but I think it will, I, I definitely think it can make a club feel, feel shitty for sure. Yeah, I know for myself, like, I, uh, like Patrick Boyd, National Custom, Mm-hmm. someone that talk a lot of gear nerd out a bit, like quite a bit. And like, 
think his, he always does like his max that he'll ever want to do is like eight. Yeah. Um, because again, it, I, I always find that I don't, I, I don't know if it's actually a, a center of gravity thing or if it's in my head or if it's just like, maybe it is a feel thing with the shaft and like having that much weight in the hosel, but there is like, it doesn't feel as good when you're doing that. And for, again, from your, from a physics perspective, you have to, you're moving center of gravity, like micro amounts. So is a player able to really notice that? I don't know, but like, there's definitely a tangible element where a club will not feel as good if you got a bunch of weight jammed in the hosel because yeah. To the point you made, which I think was like fantastic point. I think this is something that people should take away from it is the idea that if someone just wants a, like a swing weight for like any intangible reason, right. And it's a combo of two, like a head and a shaft, like, you know, I've built clubs that are an inch under for like slower speed players. Um, some ladies say, for example, or some juniors, and it's like, it's going to come out to like C1 or C2, yeah. like you've got yeah. a 40 gram shaft, you got a lightweight head go, go, go through a U.S. kids club on a swing weight scale and you'll see what it is. Like they're not a D2, like, like a men's club at full length with 120 gram shaft. Like that is not the case. So people get this in their head, like they're looking for a number and you know, if the components are working and you're looking for that as well, there's probably something that's not gelling correct, correctly when it comes to 100%. that. Uh, this is a, here's one, another one as well. I realize I, I'm pretensing every question, which I realize is annoying to myself. Uh, because I, people know that I'm going to ask the question anyways, but do you ever use, speaking of tip weights, the tip weights that are for graphite shafts for woods? Like if it means that going into an adapter or just a, like straight into an actual like fairy wood or, or hybrid that might have a glued hosel, you ever use anything like that? Do you like using them or are you just you're not I, a fan? I, I have used them, uh, you know, in some fairy woods that are, like you said, getting an adapter and stuff like that. Um, I don't go more than than two grams though. Um, the 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 thicker it gets, it it ruins, you know, shaft insertion. And if it's too a little, if it's not deep enough, I just get wary and I'm like, I don't want this to break. Um, so I, you know, I'll go max two grams, and then if that's the case, I'll play with, I'll find a port in the head, and I'll whether I have to drill a port in the head and and fill it with a with an epoxy kind of stick after or there's generally ports in in most of the heads i'd rather just hot melt uh fairy wood yeah that's, or, that's any, the, or any wood at that at that doesn't just have to be a fairy wood yeah i know the benefit that we have with like first of all is hot melt which is great and then the other part is almost not all but most clubs have some way of either getting into the head mm-hmm. or just adjusting the weight with an adjustable thing like you've got that from Titleist. I don't like, I think the Cali has a plug in the back. I'm like, I'm trying to picture some of the new heads right now. Uh, yeah. You can get into it through the, through the collar as well. Um, I remember I had to drill a, remember those old XR 16 heads. Oh yeah. They were light. Um, they light didn't have, heck. they didn't have a port. Um, so I remember having to drill in the back of a fairy wood. It, it worked. Um, there was a lot of sweat. And worrying about, I think it was like our our third build in TXG history, and I had to drill a hole into someone's brand new XR16 Fairwood. Yeah, that's that's always a nervous thing. I know it's it's very different when they do it on the tour van because if they they first of all if they scratch it they don't care, and yeah. secondly if they really mess it up they just go to the drawer and grab a new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not always a luxury that we have in a in a build shop, um, and that that is one of those things where I think for for as far as weight is concerned, um, I think it's something that's really cool. Um, now, oh, 
before we get to some more questions, I do want to mention, I did, uh, I did talk to our, our friend in Canadian golf, uh, Scott McLeod. Um, I know he, he at, at times works with Noah Steele, who we talked about, I think last week or the week before, who won on the uh, PGA Tour Canada, McKenzie Tour. I think it's still McKenzie Tour. PGA Tour Canada, Osprey Valley Open as an amateur. Uh, I believe he's actually playing again this, uh, this week out in PEI. So he was either given an invitation to go out and play or um, unlocked an opportunity because he won. So I know that uh, he is out there as well. So I'm very excited for that this week as far as tournament golf is concerned. I know we've talked about all the other stuff going on, but that to me is something that I think is is cool to highlight because, you know, Patrick Canley, for example, I do believe he holds the record on the PGA Tour for the lowest round at the Travelers where he shot 60 as an am, which is nuts. So, you know, to see amateur golfers who are obviously like playing very, very well play in professional events is always very interesting. And I wanted to give a shout out to that because I thought that was really cool. But uh, let's, let's get to a couple more questions, Mike, and then we'll, we'll call it an evening. And then we're going to ask your pick for the Solheim cup, as well as the uh, your pick for the tour championship this week. I know oh. there is the, and I'm going to, I'm going to have you answer. I'm going to, I'm going to have you uh, give me two winners. One is the the actual winner of the event. And then the one is the net champion who walks away with $15 million. But uh, let's get to this uh, few more here. When it comes to shaft extensions, I know we talked about them a lot. Uh, we've, we've kind of had this discussion before, but is there, when it comes, let's say full weight steel. So heavyweight steel shafts, we're not working with lightweight graph or anything like that. How far are you still going to go with one of those things? If you're, if you're putting an extension in, if you have, if you absolutely have to, I know you don't like doing it. I hate doing it too, but what would be your maximum? Uh, I mean, I'm going to go half. I Honestly, I'm going to go half inch max. I'm going to go half inch. I just, I absolutely hate it. I just did extensions today for a member at my club. And I just, I talked to him about soft stepping. I've talked to him about hard stepping. I was just like, let's just do something where you don't have to spend a lot of money because he he just got brand new clubs and he didn't buy them through us. Regardless, we were fixing them for him. And he's like, nah, nah, it's like an old school guy. He's like, just throw some extensions in. I'm like, okay. So we ordered some graphite, proper quality graphite extensions going into some graphite shafts and made them fit as tight as possible. Um, but I just... I know the type of player is he's a hard, heavy hitter. And I just, I don't know. I don't love it. I really, yeah. really, really don't love it. So if you can avoid an extension, I know, oh, there's a graphite design DI 7S for sale for $175, but it's playing at 43 and a half inches. I'm not extending that to 45 inches. No. You can just fly a kite. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I've definitely gotten that question a lot. It's like, oh, it plays a 40, like 44 or whatever like that. Or if I, you know, I, I got it from a Callaway driver. I wanted to go into a ping driver and it lost an inch or it lost like three quarters of an inch. Can you do that? And I just tell them like, no, like, I don't, yeah. I don't want to do it. Um, if it's steel, I'll go. Yeah. About half an inch is, is my max. Unless we're talking, unless I know the player and I've seen the player hit shots and I know that they don't put a lot of force on it or they're, they they Anthony Kim it down like an inch down on the shaft, which again, I wonder why they would do it anyways. But it's uh, one of those out things where you know I just I don't like doing a lot of it, but it is uh, it is the nature well, of the beast in some cases. And that's the thing. Like next week, I'm fitting uh, a professional athlete who's who's extremely tall, and uh, he's coming into town for a fitting. And you know, I've just I know I'm going to have to put some extensions and some demos. So 
they'll be they'll be an inch long demos. Now he's a new to the game. He's a strong, strong player, very good athlete. Um, so we'll see how he hits it. But um, I'm gonna have to take a couple demos and definitely build build a few extensions in those for those irons because he's like six foot six or something like that. that. That's a good point because and this is where I think you know we hear complaints about tying some like other fitters or going to a, like a, a, a maybe a big box store um, like just kind of anywhere and hear people complain about you know what's available for demos and they don't like you know they don't have en- enough options in the fitting cart for shafts or lengths or all these different things and first of all i know it's it's difficult depending on the manufacturer and all those things just the elements in general but this is where when you are working with or you are you've booked a fitting and you know you're going in for a fitting and you have a prefit questionnaire when if you have someone who's taller or shorter or any type of outside of say your standard deviation of a normal like the average person when you have these prefit questionnaires, people might ask, like, why I've never done this before. That is where it's really important. So you have, I remember very distinctly working uh, somewhere where, you know, we didn't really have the, this process in place. And this person walked in for a fitting. They were seven, six foot 11. And we all looked at each other and we're like, crap. <laughs> like, what are we going to do for irons this guy? Like, we don't know what to do. And he was, again, very tall guy probably like an like a very um regular golfer like 15 handicap but like, yeah around 50 let's say call 15 handicap and at the time we pulled some shafts at the wall put extensions in them and then we built this golf clubs we built them to the proper length but it is like you know those little things are very important for a lot of people uh, and so last one i'm going to get to you is a very common question it's uh it's we, we talked about it on, on the channel like on the on the YouTube channel, something I answer all the time, and that is Liangle. Two parts to this question, Mike. Do you follow manufacturers recommended between uh, like clubs, like your little half degree? And also, if someone is pulling their short irons, I know, I know, you know, I know the answer to this, anyways. But if you are pulling your short irons, does it help to flatten your shorter golf clubs? I mean, I. I mean, yes. I mean, you can flatten out your clubs and it will help a little bit. Um, you know, there could be a couple couple things that are inducing that, you know, that leftward shot shape. Um, so, yeah, definitely flatten them out and, and you know, give that a try. Um, do we go the half degree increments like manufacturers? Most of the time, yeah. Now, it's never stock. It's always different for... For every client but yes we do do the half degree increments i have done in the past and all of our fitters have done in the past sometimes i've had a guy that's had the same angle throughout the whole set he came in bought his clubs picked up his clubs played five rounds i don't know played a lot of golf with them came back in the winter and we did a quick loft and lie gapping session with him and you know, I was nudging, I nudged the four iron to like 62 and then I nudged the five iron to 62. And then I was like, okay, that's weird. Then we, we tried a bunch of stuff and look at dynamic lie and, and strike pattern with, with the GC quad. And then a six iron was at 62. Then a seven iron is at 62. <laughs> and I'm writing these numbers down. I'm a note taker. So I'm writing all these numbers down while I'm doing this. And I'm not really saying anything to the customer, but he's like, oh, these feel so much better. And, you know, we're looking at strike. He's like, strike so much better. So I was like, all right, give me a second. So before you even hit anything, I just put his eight iron to 62. And it might be 61 or 62, but I just made up the number. But regardless, he 
he he's like oh he's like this is the one i was struggling with he's like i'm diming now i'm getting it through the turf like the heels off the ground blah 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 i'm like all right so sure enough his nine iron his pitching wedge everything was 62 in his set and then i showed him and he's like how much were they just and i showed him the paper and he was like what the hell and i was like it's unorthodox but hey if it works who cares i mean at the end of the day there's no law by by anyone the usga or anyone that says your angles have to be half degree increments it's a it's a standard it's a there is a standard of that half degree increments throughout the industry but like i said i've had i've had that happen multiple times where we go quarter degree a degree half degree whatever whatever it is in in order to get that club to the ball through the turf as efficiently as possible doesn't matter what the number is bingo um now i'm gonna follow up with you mike was he uh you know, obviously was he a good player was very it like good player. was a very good player? Okay, that's very good player. That's, that's very interesting because I know I've had that experience before. I built a number of, of clubs for some pros in the past, and like club pros, but uh, not club pro guy, <laughs> but club pros. And I've been given on multiple occasions very specific line angle requests. Like the bottom three clubs are let's say 60, 61 or sixty two. And then the next ones up are like six, uh, are like you go to say 61 and then you get 60. So there is not this progression. And a lot of times I've, I've done it very similar in the past where I've said, you know, I've talked about it already. It's like my, my, my uh, longer irons play a little bit more, like basically close to standard line angle, which is, you know, yeah. for me, see, looks or feels very upright, but it's standard line angle. And then as I go down towards the rest of my clubs, they actually get progressively flatter. Uh, there is, they are not on a linear progression and i think just like with swingway just like how we talked about the tipping and it kind of wraps up this whole conversation is like when it comes to club building and fitting a player we are not concerned or club builders and fitters should not be concerned with just what you see as a stock spec because a stock spec online is designed to be exactly what it is it's a stock just off the rack it is what it is but you know, if you go buy a tailored suit or you're getting a, a you're getting something just custom made for you or whatever it happens to be, right? Maybe one leg's a little longer than the other. You know, hips a little tired on one side, get the thing to look right. You know, I know for me, I remember my shoulders being funky. So like one probably from carrying a golf bag for a long time, I was tilted to one side. All of these things are adjusted to fit that player. And whether it's tipping, grip sizing, all of those things, it really doesn't matter because it's as you pointed out, like if it works for the golfer, that's all you got to worry about. Hundred percent. So, Mike, as always, it's great to chat. Now, oh, I forgot to ask you. So, who's your pick for the uh, the, the final FedEx Cup, the, the Tour Championship in Atlanta? I want Shadow Leaderboard, and I want the Net Champion. And then, who do you think is going to win the Solheim Cup? Solheim Cup. I'm going to give it to Team USA. Un- not unfortunately, but fortunately, I think their team is ridiculously stacked um going into uh this week and then pga tour i don't even know who's playing um tour championship i'm gonna look it up right now okay so i will say while you're while you're looking up because i already got my picks uh i am i will take just to be counterintuitive and anyways i'm gonna fly the european flag for the solheim cup i think you know the we can make the the very poor uh you know, uh, what's the term, like the stereotype that, you know, Europeans play more match play. They're going to get along with each other better. But I find that there's, there is something that for them, 
they because they do play more match play growing up. Although uh, obviously all professional golfers who play on the PGA Tour or LPGA Tour, sorry, that to me, I'm I'm just going to go that way either way because I think they got a chance. I I love especially the underdog too. Like I love the grindy underdog. So we're going to go that way. Um, as far as the tour championship is concerned, it's re- it's really really hard to not pick Patrick Cantlay because he's coming in with his like his lead, right? Like for me, I think he's someone who's going to come in and, and probably win just because he's been playing so well. And he, he seems to go either. He's like misses cuts and then goes on heaters or like, it's one or the other. It's kind of hot or cold for him. Um, he had a few missed cuts early in the year, actually around the masters. And then he's been very, very solid since then. So I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take Patrick for the actually like for the win-win to win that $15 million, but I'm going to pick, Rory to, and I, I guess I don't know how that actually works out, but I'm still going to, I'm going to pick Rory as shadow boy because Interesting. I think there's, it's going to be, it's Atlanta. It's going to be freaking so humid. It's going to be soft. Rory tends to excel really nicely on soft golf courses where he blasted a million miles in the air, played well last week as well. Uh, and I just, I think, you know, in some, in many cases, like, don't care, Rory. Nihilistic Rory seems to seems to like set the world on fire once in a while. So uh, we'll see if uh, nihilistic Rory takes it on the shadow leaderboard. I've got I've got two picks to like. I'm between two guys to win the 15 mil, which is either John Rom or Jordan Spieth. Um, and to win the event. I'm going to go John Rom, which means obviously he would win FedEx Cup. That's cool. But um, but yeah, those would be the, the two slash one slash three picks, three picks. I know, I know you're looking at the, you've got the, the, the thing there, the, the field. I did. Is Kisner yeah. in it after his win or no, he didn't make it. Hold on. I just closed the app. I don't think he's in it. <laughs> I don't think I didn't, I don't recall seeing his name because I felt like of any of the guys that, you know, are very willing to talk about playing for money. Like, even if he starts 10 shots back, I feel like there's a guy who's like, he's going in to make some money. Uh, but yeah. His is his is not in it. Not in it. All right. So um. So again, I got Rory for the the shadow, and I'm gonna pick Patrick because of his lead. Uh, we got your picks in there. You got John Rom, which is great pick. Man's on fire. Uh, Mike, always a pleasure to chat. Gracias. Thank you, sir. I know uh, we got lots of stuff to check out on the YouTube channel as well. And you can follow along at uh, RDS Brath on Instagram and Mike TXG. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. 